<clears throat> okay, Bruchem and welcome everyone to the Koilel Agra de Pirka of Kugarn Hills, New York, via Zoom, phone lines, and whatever uh, other venue we are on. Thank you everyone for joining. Um, in honor of the upcoming Yom Tif of Shavuos and Kabbalah's Hatayra, let's begin this year with a very interesting question. And that is, the Parsha of Kabbalah's Hatayra and Parsha's Yisroi begins, begins with an anomaly. anomaly. With the letter Bez. The Torah never begins a subject with the letter Bez. Ever. It always is with a Vav. Vayehi. Uviyayim. Always. There's only one other exception, and that is Bereshus. Never will the Torah begin an episode. Biyayim. Bachoydeh. No. It's always vi, uviyoyim, uvachoydash, except for Bereshis and Kabbalah's HaTorah, indicating that the giving of the Torah, so to speak, was like a new creation of the world. And that is a subject that we're going to be uh, focusing on today, namely how the giving of the Torah changes the way the world operates. And... Um, Let's begin with a very interesting Gemara in Chulin. The Gemara in Chulin says on Daf Zayin. Get it back up here. The Gemara in Chulin says as follows. Here we go. We get a little bigger. The Gemara says, The Rebbe Pinchas, The Rebbe Pinchas ben Yor have a ka'azal opinion shvayim. Rebbe Pinchas ben Yor was going to fulfill the midst of redeeming captives. Now who's Rebbe Pinchas ben Yor? He is the son-in-law of the Rajbi, as we find in Masech the Shabbos, Daflam and Gimel. But according to the Zoyar, he is none other than the father-in-law of the Rajbi. And he specialized in the mitzvah of Pidyon Shvuyim. In fact, the Sefer Tanya says that whenever somebody goes to Yimekayim in the mitzvah of Pidyon Shvuyim, they are cloaked and garbed with the soul of Rapin Chasbanyar. So he was going to fulfill the mitzvah of Pidyon Shvuyim. Hagabe beginoi nara. He encountered a river. The name of the river was Ginoi. Amarle, he says to the river, Ginoi chalaykli meimecha split. Be'ever b'chan, I'm going to cross. So Pinchas ben Yair is speaking to the river. Amarle, so the river says, Ata hoylech la'asos v'tzayin kainach, v'ani hoylech la'asos v'tzayin kaini. You're going to do the will of your creator, and I'm going to do the will of my of my creator. You may or may not be successful in doing your mission, but I certainly will be successful in doing my mission by flowing. You may or may not do what, what you need to do. I'm definitely doing. So, basically, Pinchas Benyar is talking to the river. And friends, if you could talk to a river, then guess what? The river could talk back to you as well. So, Rabbi Pinchas Benyar got fed up and he said, If you do not split, I decree upon you that no water should ever pass through you. In other words, you're going to dry up. So the river, oh, you should have said so. The river got all worried. He says, um, He split. You know, the, the river tried to play Mr. Tough Guy, but then he finally caved in. There was a guy who was carrying wheat 
for the carbon Pesach. So, Armalei Chodkle Nami Lahai. The Rapinchos and Yaros said, split for this guy, the, uh, the Mitzvah Asik. He's involved in doing a Mitzvah. Chalakle. He split for the person carrying the carbon Pesach. Um, he split for the person carrying the wheat for the Pesach. Now, there was a third guy, Hava Hahu Taya. There was an Arab, the love of Adair, that was accompanying them. Amar Leis, who Pinchas Ben said, Chalokli Nami Lahai, split for him as well. The Loilema, so that they don't say, Kach Oisim Levnei Levia. This is what they do to people who accompany us. Chalakli. So, the uh, river split for Reb Pinchas Ben Yoyer. It split for the guy carrying the wheat for the Pesach. And it split for the Arab. Amazing. Did Reb Pinchas Ben Yoyer have a hard time splitting the sea? Not at all. He just said split and it split. Not only did it split for him, it split for another Jew carrying the wheat. Not only did it split for them, it, ca- it split for an Arab. Amar Reb Yosef! This guy is greater than Moshe Rabbeinu and 60 myriads of Jews. Because for Moshe, this is the sea only split once. And here the sea split three times. So the Gemara is making an astounding statement that Pinchas Benyar, in this regard, was greater than Moshe. Pinchas Benyar split the sea three times and Moshe Rabbeinu had uh, only split the sea once. However, the Rechaim HaKadosh in Parshas B'Shalach points out that it's not only in the number of times that Pinchas Benyar split the sea that we see his seeming uh, greatness even beyond Moshe Rabbeinu. Because when Moshe Rabbeinu came to the sea and he told the sea to split, so what happened? Nachshon ben Aminadav had to jump in. And Nasham ben Aminadav when uh, jumped in up to his knees, and what happened to the sea? Nothing. And then Nasham ben Aminadav went uh, jumped in up to his uh, waist, and what happened? Nothing. And then he jumped in up to his neck, and what did the sea do? Nothing. And then up to his nose, he's about to die, and what did the sea do? Nothing. Until Nasham ben Aminadav cries out, "Hoshieni kibo umayim ad nafesh, save me!" And what happened to the sea? Nothing. Until Hayam Ra, the sea saw. What did the sea see? The sea saw Aroina Shal Yosef, the coffin of Joseph. And what did the sea do? Nothing. And then Chazal say the sea saw the Brisa of Rabbi Yishmael. And then Chazal say the sea put up a fight with Moshe. He said, Moshe, you were created on day six. I was created on day three. I'm older than you. Which Bechlal needs understanding. What does the sea mean that I'm older than you? So not only did Moshe Rabbeinu have a harder time, not, not only did Moshe only split, sit, uh, split the sea once, he had a much harder time doing it. He encountered much more resistance. But Pinchas Banyar goes to the sea, he snaps his fingers and the sea split. <coughs> and Moshe Rabbeinu had a tough time. He needed... Backup assistance, he needed Nachshon, he needed Brysos, he needed coffins. What's going on over here? So Rav Shach in the Sefer, Machsheves Musar, cites the Medrash that begins to open up the subject to us. Namely, the Medrash says as follows, 
says the Medrash in Shmois Rabbah, let's contrast Moshe Rabbeinu going up to receive the Torah with God's command to build the Mishkan. When, when Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to makabel the Torah, the Pasuk says, Moshe Allah El Elohim, Moses went up to God. And then soon after, Hashem gave us the command to build the Mishkan, and Hashem says, Va'asuli Mikdash Vishachanti Bisaychan. Make for me a temple and I will live in it. Says the Medrash, let's contrast before the giving of the Torah to after the giving of the Torah. Before the giving of the Torah, the action's up in the heaven. Umaysha Allah Eloikim. It's all happening, all the good stuff's up there in the heaven. It's all dependent on what's going on in the heavens. Once the Torah came down into this world, God says, I'm moving out of the heavens and I'm coming down to this world. Now it's happening downstairs. Now that's where all the action's at. What is the meaning of this? Let's speak out an interesting kasha, the Ramban. Raise your hand if you like camels. I'm assuming that all the people who I don't see their faces, they like camels. I think that's a pretty fair assumption. Okay, so... In honor of you camel lovers out there, I'm going to ask you a question about camels. It says in Parshas Chayisara that when Avraham got to his destination, he unmuzzled the camels. So Rashi says, why were they muzzled in the first place? You know, I could think of uh, some people, maybe, who you sit next to dur- during tefillah that could use one of those muzzles. Yeah, but what about camels? Camels don't talk by Chazar Sashats. So why do they need uh, Zamam? The answer is, says Rashi, Avraham Avinu was afraid that they would um, steal and they would eat uh, produce that doesn't belong to them. So Avraham Avinu had to guard them from Gezela. And then when they got to their destination, he unmuzzled them. Correct the Ramban, I don't understand. Avram Avinu, his camels, they were very holy camels. They were very on a very high madrega. I mean, you know, the Gemara says in Shabbos, Im Rishonim B'nei Malachim, Anu B'nei Adam. If the early authorities, says the Gemara in Shabbos, Kuf Yubes, were like angels, we are like people. And if they're like people, we're like donkeys. But not like the donkey of Pinchas Ben Yoyer. We're not Azoi Groisa donkeys. We're not such holy donkeys. We're not on such a madrega. What was the godless of the donkey of Pinchas ben Yair? Say Chazal, that Pinchas ben Yair's donkey would not eat produce, that Shruma was not taken off. It was a very from donkey. By the way, it's not a stira. Okay? But the, the chamor or a Pinchas ben Yair was mamish a fruma chamor. What was he makbed on? He was makbed on teva. So let's say if you would serve him food, he would, uh, he would ask you, know, who's the Rav Machshir? And uh, if he would go to a restaurant, he would sit down at the table, and he would ask the waiter, Nu, what's the kashos? The waiter would say, look at the certificate. The donkey would say it's expired 30 days ago. Where's the latest certificate? This was a from donkey. So the Ramban wants to know, how was it that the donkey of Rapinchas Banyar was so from that he wouldn't eat tevel, and the donkeys of Avraham were Gazlonim and, and Ganovim that Avraham Avinu had to muzzle them. If the donkey of Pinchas ben Yar was so from, why weren't Avraham Avinu's donkeys from? And the answer, Rabbi Isai, is based on the Arachayim HaKadosh. 
Arachayim HaKadosh says in Parshas B'Shalach, he says that before the Torah was given, God created a system. The name of the system is the Derech HaTeva, the natural process with which the world operates. And God is hesitant to allow that process to change. So when Moshe Rabbeinu comes to a sea and the nature of water is to lay stagnant, and Moshe Rabbeinu says, split, the Yam says, I don't know what you're talking about. God created us with a certain nature. We are definitely doing the will of God and you have no right to override the system. But what Moshe needed to do is he needed to override the system and it's very difficult to override the system Hashem put into place. When God created the world, He created the world with Chachma, with 32 Nesivais Chachma. That's why in Bereshis it says Alekim 32 times. So Moshe Rabbeinu comes to the sea and he has to split the sea. So the sea says, no, what are you doing? God created me with a system. You have no right to break the system. But once the Torah was given, the Torah is literally the blueprint and the architectural plans and the keys to the universe. So once the Torah is given, those who learn the Torah, those who master the Torah, are given the architectural plans. They are the... Those who learn the Torah, they are, um, they are given the controls of the universe. And because they're given the controls of the universe, if they now encounter nature, they have the ability to, not to override the system, they control the system. The Rachayim HaKadosh quotes a wondrous Medrash. The Medrash says on the Pasuk in Yeshaya, Koy Amar Hashem Bayracha Yaakov. Literally, so says the Lord, your Creator, Yaakov. But the Medrash reads it. Koy Amar Hashem, so says the Lord, Bayracha. You know who created the world? Yaakov. Yaakov created the world. Where the Rebbe Hashem is acknowledging that once Hashem gave us the Torah, it is as if the Loim De Torah are the creators of the world. And the Rebbe Hashem, so to speak, is tied and bound to their Ratzayim. They control the world. Like Chazal say, by Avram Avinu, You sit and I'll stand. What was Rebbe Hashem demonstrating by standing as Avraham sat? The one who sits is Iker. The one who stands is, is subsidiary. God is saying that I, Kviyachal, make myself Tafel in the create and the control of the world to the Klal Yisrael and the Loim De Torah. Hence, you want to know why Avram Avinu's donkeys needed to be muzzled? How could it be that the donkey of Pinchas Ben Yar was a frumer donkey than the donkey of, than the camels of Avram? The answer is very simple. Because Avram Avinu had camels, and camels are natural beings, and they like to eat, and if you don't muzzle them, then they're going to steal. Because that was before the Torah was given, and before the Torah was given, in order to perform a miracle, you need to override the system. That is why, friends, there are so few miracles performed in the Chumash by Avram Avinu. You tell me one miracle found in the Chumash that Avram Avinu did. He didn't do any miracles. There was, he came to Israel, there was famine, so why didn't Avravinu just say, let there be food? Because he, he doesn't do that. And when they stole Sarah, why didn't Avram Avinu just uh, cause lightning to hit Paroi over the head? 
because he doesn't do that. And when Avram Avinu couldn't have children until he was 100 years old, why couldn't he snap his fingers and have a child? Because he doesn't do that. Because before the Torah was given, it is very difficult to change the system. And that is why Moshe Rabbeinu comes to the Yamsuf, and the Yamsuf says, no, 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 I don't understand what you're talking about. What do you mean the Yamsuf? Why should I split? I'm older than you. I come before you. I have precedence. But, but Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Yam, no, no, you're making a mistake. You're not a Ben Torah. I'm a Ben Torah. What Moshe Rabbeinu meant was, even though you're right, you come before me, but I am going to accept the Torah which predated the creation of the world and ultimately will uh, be, be the uh, guidebook and the keys to the universe. In other words, is Moshe Rabbeinu great, greater than Pinchas Ben Yair? Absolutely. It's one of the tenets of Amuna. So how come Pinchas Ben Yor was able to split the sea easily and Moshe cannot? The answer is because Pinchas Ben Yor had the keys to creation. I'll give you a mashal. There's a door. And there's a six put, uh, foot, five inch guy, 250 pounds. He's trying to open the door. He can't open the door. He's banging, pounding. He has a hammer. And finally, after an hour, he gets the door open. Then this little, then the door locks. This little Yidula comes. And he just opens the door. So, whoa, I don't understand. The first guy was Goliath. He could, he could barely open the door. The second guy was a pipsqueak. And he just opens the door. Yeah, you know why? Because the second guy had the keys. So the second guy has the keys. It doesn't mean he's stronger. It just means he has the instrument needed to access the opening of the door. It's the same thing with the world. Moshe is greater than Pinchas Ben Yar, but Moshe didn't have the keys. Avraham didn't have the keys, so his camels needed to be muzzled. Moshe didn't have the keys, so he has a hard time splitting the sea. Pinchas Benyar has the keys. Before the Torah was given, the control of, of the world was Umaisha Allah El Alekim. Once the Torah was given, the controls of the world come down to this world. So you say, okay, so far so good. Here's where it gets very confusing. Namely, what do we call the Shabbos before Pesach? Anyone with me today? You're all muted. I guess that's why. Shabbos Haggadah. The great Shabbos. Shabbos Haggadah. Ah, on the phone also. Shabbos Haggadah. What happened on Shabbos Haggadah? A miracle. What was the miracle? We took the Egyptian god, we, took, we tied it to our doorpost, and the Egyptians were gnashing their teeth. Oh, what are you going to do to our god? Are you going to slaughter our god? And they really wanted to wring our necks, and a miracle happened and God protected us. Yeah? Question. Usually in Judaism we celebrate things on the day of the month, not on the day of the week. You know, we don't have, uh, we don't have days. Oh, you know... On Tuesday is Lagba Oimer because something happened in Lagba No, no. We don't celebrate anything by the day of the week, only the day of the month. Why Shabbos Haggadah is the day of the week? So the Noise Kalim and Shulchan Aruch say something interesting. Because if we would celebrate Yud Nisan, then people would mistakenly think we're commemorating a different miracle. Because you know a miracle happened in Yud Nisan after the Jews, um, the 40 years were over? 
they entered Eretz Yisrael, Yehoshua Benun split the Yardain on Yud Nisan. So if Shabbos Haggadah, it's the miracle of us being saved by attempting, when we try to slaughter the Egyptian god was celebrated on Yud Nisan, people are, would mistakenly think that the reason for this celebration is the splitting of the Yardain, and therefore, so, so that people accurately are informed of the correct reason for the splitting of the, uh, for Shabbos for the miracle, we celebrated on the day of the week, not the day of the month. We all know Yehoshua Benon split the Yardin. Did Yehoshua Benon have an easy time, or did he have a hard time? The answer is he had an easy time. It says as soon as Kenoyach Kapois Ragle Hakoyhanim Noisei Aroin Hashem. As soon as the feet of the Koyhanim rested in the Yardin, the sea split. Did the Yardin say, Hey, Yahshua, who do you think you are? I was created on day three, you were created on day six. No. Did Yahshua ben Nun need a guy to jump into the sea up to his nostrils? No. Did he need the coffin of Yosef? No. He just snapped his fingers and the sea split. The Koyhanim put in their toes and the sea split. How could it be that Yoshua bin Nun had an easier time splitting the sea than Moshe Rabbeinu? Yoshua is greater than Moshe. So you say, Rabbi, you just answered that question. Moshe Rabbeinu came to the Yardin before the Torah was given. Before the Torah was given, God put the uh, God put the phenomenon of the world, the natural process of the world, into motion, and it's very hard to overcome that and to override it. So Moshe had a difficult time splitting the sea. Yoshua is coming with the Kayach HaToyrah, with the Moshe Kibbal Tarmi Sinai. So Yoshua ben Nun had a much easier time. Fine. But here is where it gets really interesting. Ready for this? So far, everyone having a good time? You're enjoying so far? You like this year? It's a good year, no? Okay, excellent even. Wow, somebody even says that. So here's the real, here's the good question. And that is, I get it. Before the Torah is given, it's hard to make miracles. After the Torah is given, miracles become much easier. But now we're going to compare and contrast miracles in Tanakh, even after the Torah was given, with miracles found in Talmud Babli. And we are going to encounter such a major divide that this will bring us to one of the most phenomenal principles that we've ever learned about. And that is, let's compare Yoshua ben Nun splitting the sea to Pinchas ben Yair. Yoshua ben Nun, he still needed the Kohanim to put their feet in the Yardin. And he still needed the Arain. And he still only split the sea once. Pinchas ben Yair, he just goes to the sea, Hey, see, if you don't split, I'm going to dry you up. And it splits. Split for the guy carrying the wheat. Fine. Split for the cleaning lady. Split for the Arab. Splits. It almost seems like Yehoshua ben Nun had an easier, that uh, Pinchas ben Yoyer had an easier time splitting the sea than even Yehoshua ben Nun. Let me give you a few examples. Let's talk about fire. Who likes fire? Aish. It's very hot. Stay away. We have a Gemara in Ksubis on Daf Samach Zayin Amad Beis. 
that Mar Ukva and his wife used to give a lot of tzedakah b'seisar. They didn't want anybody to know about it. One time an Oni thought maybe he'll figure out who's giving, who, his, who his benefactor was, and he sees a man and woman from a distance running away, so he chases after them. Mar Ukva and his wife ran away from the Oni into the fire. Because I'm saying, where else are you going to hide? So they, they hid in an oven. And nothing happened to them. And uh, what were they doing? Were they running into an oven? Ovens are very hot. Ovens are very hot, especially self-cleaning ovens. You know how hot they are? They're so hot that when you put them on self-clean, the oven self-destructs, and you need to get a new oven the next year. By the way, that's why they're called self-cleaning. They're self-cleaning. You put it on self-clean, they break, and the company has to give you a new oven. They work, every year it works, right? So what's here it is, Marukva and his wife... They uh, they have this big miracle. They jump into the oven. What does the Gemara say? The Gemara doesn't say boo. Of course they jump into the oven. And Hananiah, Mishal, the Azaria, when they're thrown into the Kibshana Eish, the Gemara in Sanhedrin asks, hey, why is it that we don't hear a word about Hananiah, Mishal, the Azaria after the miracle of the Kibshana Eish? The Gemara says because they had to run away because of Ayin Hara. That the miracle was so astounding and they attracted so much attention, they literally had to run away. I don't understand. Marukva didn't have to run anywhere when he jumped into the self-cleaning oven. It almost seems like for Hananiah, Mishal, Vazariah, for that miracle to happen to them, it was a big deal. But for Marukva, it wasn't a big deal. Or how about Rabzera in Bamatsia Pehei? You know what Rabzera would do? Rabzera wanted to check himself whether he would be protected from the fires of Gehenna. So every 30 days he would go into an oven. Yeah, that was his practice. Every Rosh Chodesh, he would come home. His wife would say, Hey, Rabzera, what do you want for breakfast? Rabzera said, Well, one second, I just got to go into the oven for a minute. Every 30 days, he would check himself in the oven. So what's the big deal? Avram Avinu in the Kivshan Ha'esh. What's the big deal? Hanani Mishav Azariah. Rabzera is going to the oven every 30 days. Another thing. Let's talk about animals. Dangerous animals. Rabbi Hanina ben Doisa, the Gemara Bracha says, Daflamid Gimel. He placed himself, he would step on snake holes like it was nobody's business. And yet, when it comes to Daniel and the lion's den, which is not a very comfortable story for me, I get a little nervous when I hear that story. We make a big, ah, oh, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, a big miracle. Well, what's a big miracle? Hanina ben Doisa, he's stepping on snakes every day. Let's talk about Tchiyas HaMesim. How many times did Avraham Avinu perform Tchiyas HaMesim? Remember Paras Chayisara, Vayavoy Avraham, Spoidless Sarah, Viliv Kaisal. Why didn't Avraham just say his Sarah? Get up! Wake up! You know, Avraham Avinu could have said, um, ripped up his check to the Chavra Kadisha and told Sarah, get up. Why didn't he do that? How many times did uh, Yaakov Avinu, was he Mechayi Mesim? You know, when Rachel died on the road, what is he burying her for? Why didn't he just bring her back to life? No. Nowhere in Bereshus is anyone coming back to life. Not at least in the Pesukim. You know, when they, uh, when they killed Chur by the Ega, why didn't Aaron bring him back to life? No one's doing Tchiyas Mesim. In the whole Tanakh, how many times do we encounter Tchiyas HaMesim? 
Eliyahu and Elisha, Vizehu. And yet if you look in the Gemara, let's say in Avedizara Yodam and Beis, um, Antoninus would go every day to learn by Rebbe. He would bring two Avadim. He would kill one on the way there and one on the way back. And one of the Tanoim just brought the, the Eved back to life. And Antoninus says, I know that the lowest Tano could be Mechaye Mesim. That means the Romans knew that the lowest of all the Tano could be Mechaye Mesim. So Herzachayim. That means the Tano could do what the Yeshaya and Yermia could not do. Yeshaya never brought anyone back to life. Yermia never brought anyone back to life. Yechezkel never brought anyone back to life. And yet the Tanoim are bringing people back to life like they'd be uh, going out of business. By the way, the Gemara Baba Kama, Kuf Yudzayin Amabez, Rav Yochan was giving shir, and Rav Kahana was laugh- looked like he was laughing at him. So Rav Yochan killed Rav Kahana. He gave him a look, and Rav, Yo- Rav Kahana, you know, Rav Kahana, he died. So if you're in a shir, don't smirk at the Rebbe, it's dangerous. Rav Yochanan, he lifted up his eyebrows, he gave Rav Kahana a look, and he killed him. And Rav Yochanan realized that Rav Kahana wasn't smirking at him. So Rav Yochanan said, okay, come back, 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 come back inside, back to life. I don't understand, Yermio couldn't do that, how could Rav Yochanan do that? You remember the story? One year, it was Purim, so Rabbi on Erev Purim, he says, Rav Zeyra, do me a favor, do me a favor. I know you, uh, you know, um, you, uh, you might be busy, you might be going into the oven tomorrow, but do me a favor, come to my house for Purim. You know, schedule your oven uh, entry for Shushan Purim. Uh, Rav Zeyra says, no problem, I'd be happy to push off my oven appointment for a different day. So Rabba got a little inebriated and he shechted Rav Zeyra. So he, they wake up in the morning and Rabba says, uh, Hey, Zeyra! Did you enjoy the party? And Rab Zera did not respond. And Rabbi realized uh, it's because he shechted him. He saw that, you know, he was shachat shnei simanim. So he said, okay, Rab Zera, get up, get up. And he came back to life. Rab Chananya ben Chachinai went to learn. He said, honey, I'll be right back. He came back, you know, 12 years later. She was dead on the couch. He said, oi, I should have come back a little sooner. It's okay. Get up. Get up. And she got up. And she made him breakfast. And the story ended happily ever after. I don't understand. Only Eliyahu and Elisha could be Mechayenist and Rabbi Yochanan could look at someone and bring them back to life. And Rabbi Hanan ben Chachinoi could tell his wife to get up. Why didn't Avraham tell Sarah to get up? Here's another one. Remember the story? Eliyahu told Achav, it ain't going to rain unless I uh, say so. God gave Eliyahu the key to rain. And then, Eliyahu need to bring a kid back to life. So he wanted to bring the kid back to life. So God said, I can't give you two keys. So Eliyahu said, uh, how do I get the, tchia, the key of, of Tchiyas HaMesim? God said, give me back the key of rain. And it rained again. So it's not so easy for Eliyahu to make it rain, make it stop raining. Remember the Gemara in Tainus, Daf Chesam Beis, Amemar says, 
If not for the fact that the world needed rain, I would abolish the concept of rain. We need you to abolish the concept of rain. Elio, I know he couldn't do that. He had a you know, had make all kinds of finagling and deals with HaKadosh Baruch Hu to make it start and stop raining. And Amemar said, if not for the fact that the world needed rain, he would abolish the concept of rain. These are all the contrasts and the comparisons of none other than the Baal HaLashem. The Baal HaLashem was Rav Shloima El Yashiv. Tough Reish Aleph 1841 to 1928. One of the all-time great Mikubalim. He, so to speak, had the tradition of the Vilna Goyen's understanding of what is known as Lorianic Kabbalah. The Chafetz Chaim only had one Gadol picture in his house, the Leshem. Chafetz Chaim would say that, look at him now, because in the next world you ain't getting anywhere near him. The Balaleshem had a daughter who did not have children for 17 years. And she would cry uh, because of her matzav. One time he heard her crying in the fields. And he says, you know, Farvaz Veinstu, why are you crying? And she said, I'm crying because I don't have children. He says, why are you crying outside? He said, I don't want to disturb your learning. He says, I give you a bracha that you should have a child. And sure enough, soon after... She had a child that illuminated the world with Torah. Rabbi Yosef Shalom El Yashiv was the grandson of the Leshem. In fact, even though the Rabbi Yosef Shalom El Yashiv was not known as a Makubal, the Rabbi Yashiv, the Leshem, had a difficult time writing, and Rabbi Yashiv was he wrote parts of the Leshem as the Leshem dictated it to him. However, Rabbi Ari Levine writes that even though the Leshem was somewhat paralyzed in his arm, when he came to write Kabbalah, miraculously his arm moved like lightning and he's able to write uh, at lightning speed. This is the question of the Baal HaLeshem. Granted, miracles become easier once the Torah was given, but why does it seem that the Chachamim of the Mishnah and the Gemara have a far easier time performing miracles even then? the Chachmei Tanach, then the Nevi'im, then Yeshaya, Yermia, and Yecheskel. I'll add my own uh, illustration. Um, Rebbe's son, Rebbe went to learn. He came back, his wife couldn't have children anymore. So he davened, she should have children, and she had children. Question, Sarah also couldn't have children. Why didn't Avram Avinu just say, Hey, Sarah, have children. How could Rebbe's son have an easier time changing the nature of his wife, even easier than Avraham and Sarah? Here's a really good one. A Talmud came to Rabbi Yitzhak ben Yashiv. He said, you know, my wife, she comes from a, re- a very rich family. My rich brother-in-laws, they're bothering me. So Rabbi Yisrael Yashiv said they should become poor, and they became poor. And uh, so the guy came back, and he said, uh, now, now they're borrowing money from me. So they said, okay, let them be rich again. Then he comes to his Rebbe, he says, you know, I married my wife 20 years ago. She was beautiful then. Now, uh, you know, Shvachamaisas. So Rabbi Yisrael Yashiv says, what's her name? 
says, her name is Chana. So he says, Chana Tosiapi, Chana should be beautiful. All of a sudden, she's as beautiful as the day he married her. The problem is, he comes running back to Rebbe. Now that my wife is beautiful, she's borrowing my credit card every day and she's going to the mall. I can't afford it. So he said, okay, she should be plain again. By the way, from this Gemara, you see a very important thing. All the things you wished you had, there's a reason you don't have them. Hashem does it as a chesed. It would be much worse if, if what you think you need or wish for, you would have, things would be much worse. Anyway, the bottom line is, the question at hand, is why does it seem that it's much easier for the sages of the Mishnah and the Gemara to change nature, to overcome fire, not to be damaged by animals, to split the sea, to revive the dead, to stop the rain, to have children, than even the um, individuals and personalities in the times of Chazal. Says Revel Yashiv, says the Balaleshem, don't say, heaven forbid, they're greater, because we have many, many Mamori Chazal that the earlier generations were greater. Says the Balaleshem, I'm going to share with you five statements in Chazal that the earlier generations were much greater than the later generations. Number one, the Gemara and Shabbos, Kuf Yudbezom and Bez. The Gemara says, Imrishoinim b'nei malachim anu b'nei adam. If the earlier ones were um, like malachim, we are like people. We're an Erevin. The Gemara says the hearts of the earlier generations were open like a palace. The hearts of the later generations are open like a a great room. And our hearts are open like a needle here. So here the Chazal are saying that our minds are much weaker than the earlier generations. Or the Gemara Numa Dav Tesamid Better the fingernail of the earlier generations than the stomach of the later generations. Meaning, the fingernail is the most disposable part of the body. You could cut it off. The stomach houses the vital organs. Even the fingernails of the earlier generations are greater than the critical organs of the later generations. Or the Gemara in Yuma, quoting the Pasuk in Chagai. The Pasuk in Chagai says about the Bayasheni, V'ikavdaba, and I will take honor in it. The word V'ikavda is written without a hey, indicating there were five things missing in the Bayasheni. What were they? Arayin, Eish, Urim V'tumim, Shechina, Ruach HaKodesh. And finally, the Gemara in Yuma says, in the times of the Bayesheni, I believe that Samachtes, Pascha Nevua, prophecy ceased. And yet, even though the level the Jewish people plummeted in the times of Bayesheni, the ability to perform miracles increased in the times of the Tanaim and Amaram. Why is that? How do we explain the reason for this very startling phenomenon? Well, the Baal HaLashem then um, presents the most astounding idea. And this idea literally accounts for many of the differences between Bayis Rishon and Bayis Sheni. accounts for many of the differences between the individuals in Tanakh and the individuals in the Gemara. It accounts for many, many differences. And I once gave the shir and Rabbi Akiva Tatz was there, and he came over to me after the shir, that he actually wrote a book on this subject, and when he told the, the, uh, the concept to Rav Moshe Shapiro, 
and that it explains like two dozen items, uh, Ramesh Shapiro said it explains more like 200 various phenomenon in the Torah. So this is a principle that if you know this principle, will literally be able to explain many, many differences between the two eras in history. Namely, even though there is no question that the Nevi'im were much greater than the Tanam and Amaram, nevertheless, God in His infinite wisdom decided for reasons that are beyond us. It was Allah b'machshavai that in the times of the Bayashani, God wanted to reveal the expansiveness and the depth and the wonder and the glory of the oral law in the times of Bayashini. As we know in the times of Bayash Rishon, the expansiveness of the oral law was limited as this was before there were any uh, rabbinic decrees or many of the rabbinic decrees. We know in the times of Ezra, when Ezra returned after the 70 years of Babel, the Jews had intermarried. The Jews did not know what a sukkah was. The reason for this mass uh, deviance from Torah is because they did not have the safeguards of the Dine Drabanan. Pas Akum, Shemen Akum, Stam Yenam, they didn't yet have developed all of the expansiveness of the Yud Gimel Midosh Bahem, which was proliferated in the times of the Tanoim, of Rabbi Akiva and the Rajbi. And therefore, says the Lashem, even though we don't understand why God chose the Tanoim and Amaram to be the time in history where the full gamut of Tar Peh became revealed to the world, but since the creation and the controls of the universe are accompanied by the Torah, in other words, what controls the world? Who has the keys to the universe? The Torah is the blueprint of creation. And therefore those who master and understand and learn the Torah have control of the universe and the expansiveness and the gamut of Torah was not fully revealed. We don't know why, but it was not fully revealed until the times of the second base Hamikdash and the Tanoim and Amaraim. So in the times of the Tanoim and Amaraim, when God saw to it that all the gateways and pathways and and Sha'arim of the Shamayim of Torah were open, a, a commensurate with that came a control and a dominion over the processes of creation. That is the meaning of what it says in Chagai Parak Bey's Pasuk Tes. The honor and glory of the second Mesamikdash was greater than the first. What do you mean? It didn't have the Shekhinah. It didn't have Ruach HaKodesh. It did not have any of the great gifts that the first Mesamikdash had. Instead, it was B'machashakim. It was a world of darkness. It was almost as if God said in the Bayis Rishon, I'm around, so I control the world. Bayisheni, I'm not there. The Shekhinah's not there. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving the Torah to you. I'm giving the secrets of the Torah over to you. And the Mela, in the times of the Bayisheni, 
because there was such a proliferation and expansion of Torah in an unprecedented way. Therefore, that is the reason why they had such absolute control over the world. That is why while Yahushua ben Nun had a hard time splitting the sea, relatively, Pinchas ben Yair was able to do it with ease. That is why although only Eliyahu and Elisha could revive the dead, and even when Eliyahu did it, it was with apparent mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. It was vayimoyded, panav al panav. Nevertheless, we have a tradition that even the smallest of the Tanoam can be Mechayi Mesim, and Rabbi Yochanan could look at Rav Kahana and be Mechayi Mesim, and Rav Hanani ben Chachinoi could easily be Mechayi Mesim. And even though Elio has a hard time abolishing the rain, Amemar has an easy time, and even though Daniel in the lion's den is not a comfortable experience, nevertheless, Rav Hanina ben Doisa can easily put his foot on a snake, and Rav Zera could jump in the oven every 30 days as if that would be his usual hobby. Says the Baal HaLashem. This explains the number. Now, why did God see to it to reveal so much Torah in times of Bayashini? The Baal HaLashem writes on page 4. He says, V'cheinhu b'nyaninu k'hinei b'chur b'n b'ayas rishan and galas bavel. There was darkness and the world was faltering. And there could never be a uh, a complete geula with gila shechina until all the four galasim were complete. So that the world did not cave completely and uh, descend into absolute darkness. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in order to maintain a certain stability in the world, had to reveal this important Torah to the world, and along with it came absolute mastery over creation. By the way, this explains another two very interesting phenomenon. We know that when Yoshua ben Nun came into the land of Israel, he sanctified the land. He sanctified it temporarily. However, he did not sanctify it for all time, for the future. Eventually, when the Babylonians came and they conquered Eretz Yisrael and they threw us out of the land, the sanctity of the land ceased. Kitsha Rishaina, Kitsha Lashaita, the Loi Kitsha Asad Lavai. Comes Ezra in the times of Bayashani in a much weaker fashion, and the majority of the Jewish people did not return, and Ezra too sanctified Eretz Yisrael, and Chazal say, the Rambam Paskins, Ezra, Kitsha Lashaita, the Kitsha Asad Lavai. That the Kedusha of Ezra lasts for all time. Marv Rabbi say, who's greater, Yehoshua ben Nun or Ezra? And the answer is, of course, Yehoshua ben Nun was greater. So then, why was Ezra's kedusha more effective than that of Yehoshua ben Nun? And the answer is, even though Yehoshua is greater, Ezra began the process of the Tarshabal Peh, of the Dine de Rabbanon. He came at a time when the, the Torah was being expanded and proliferated, and along with it then came more mastery over creation. And here's one of my favorite ideas. You know, in the times of the Tanoim, the Gemara in Yuma, Samach Tes, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Samach Dalet, the Anche Knesset Hagdoila, they saw that Avodah was such a powerful urge that they were going to 
get the guts, and they were going to ask the Almighty, we banish them, we want you to abolish the desire for Avodah And guess what? God acceded to their request. And then they said, you know, while we're at it, Arayos is also a pretty strong jive. They prayed to God to stop the reproductive urge. And God said, okay. And then the Gemara says, the world cannot exist, and even the chickens stopped laying eggs. And they said, yeah, it was better the way it was before. I don't understand. You know, Avram Avinu, he had a deal with his father, Tarach. And Tarach sold idols. Because Avadazar was a very strong temptation. Why didn't Avraham Davin, God, change human psychology, change the makeup of man that they should not be tempted by Avadazar? Why didn't the um, Nevi'im pray for the abolishment of Avadazar? Only in the times of the Tanam, the Antiknes Agdoyla? I mean, they weren't the greatest of all the sages. They were much uh, greater sages in earlier generations. Why were they the only ones who ever had the guts to ask the Rebbe Hashem to abolish the desire for Avodah Says the Baal you know why? Because when they saw the great proliferation of Torah that was occurring in their time, they didn't know why. But the facts were God had selected that era in history to be the era of the expansion of Tarsh They said, while God is giving us all this great ability to change nature, to change Teva, to override the system, to control the world, while we're at it, we're going to daven to Hashem, to change the psychology of man, that man should no longer be tempted by Abed Zara, the Kachavah, the Rebbe Hashem, listen! And they had the guts to ask God to, to abolish the desire for Arias, and Hashem listened to that as well. This Rabbi Sai may explain another phenomenon we encounter in Jewish history, and that is, if you want to read about some really unusually magical and mystical occurrences, so read about the miracles that were taking place in the city of Tzfas, the beginning of the 16th century, the end of the 15th century, in the times of the Arizal, and Rav Chaim Vital, and Rav Moshe Cordovero, where literally, you know, miracles were happening every Monday and Thursday, and you wonder, I don't know, I, I never saw that kind of stuff growing up in Flatbush. And even in Bar Park, I never saw things like that. And even I lived in Kew Garden Hills. Not so many, I didn't see so many miraculous events. Occasionally I used to walk late at night and I saw some shadim, but, you know, they're everywhere. What could I tell you? But uh, I don't remember seeing any nisim. And here in Svas, it's like, uh, it's interesting stuff going on over there. How do we explain that? Maybe with the same phenomenon. That the same way God selected the era of the Bayashin and Tamnam and Aram for the expansion of Tarsha Peh, there was also an era that God selected for the Kabbalah to be revealed to the world. And that was in the times of Ari and Reb Chaim Bital. Why God selected that generation and that era and that time, we don't know. But whatever Hashem does is for the Torah to continue and for the Jewish people to continue. And if God selected that era to be the recipients of a new understanding and revelation of Torah, then along with that goes the control over the world. The same way it happened in the Bayasheni and the Tanam and Aram, it happened in the city of Tzfas. Marv Rabbi this is the great gift of the Torah. Says Rav Chaim Velazhenor, and this is uh, relevant 
to the uh, unfortunate tragedy that Klai Yisrael is reeling from and our hearts are pained and many ask, you know, what is Rebbe Hashem telling us? And based on what we're learning, there should be a little bit of a different perspective. The Nefesh HaChaim comments on the Pasuk in Shir HaShirem. We know Shir HaShirem is a love song between a husband, between a chasan and a kala. The chasan being HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the kala being Knesset Yisrael. And Hashem tells us such beautiful words. He says, you're like a horse to me. Right? Isn't that, isn't that just so beautiful? Don't try that at home, you know? Don't tell your beloved, you're like a horse to me, otherwise you're going to be eating hay for supper. What is the Rebbein Shalom telling Klal Yisrael? To the horses in Paro's chariot, you are likened, my beloved. Says the Nefesh HaChaim. You look around the world, and we are Maminim B'nei Maminim, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. Right? Yes? But. And that is, it only looks like Hashem creates the, uh, runs the world. But let's talk about the horses and Paro's chariots. Paro's riding the horse. So it looks like Paro's in control. But Paro's pulling the rings! No, don't go into the sea! And the horses are running headlong into the sea! So it looks like Paro's the rider, but the horse is in charge! The horse is in control. It looks like Paro's riding, but the horse controls Paroi. God says, it looks like I run the world. Roichim Shamayim B'Ezrach, it looks like I ride the heavens. But I don't. You run the world. You control the world. You bring me to where I need the world to be. When there's COVID-19, I didn't bring it. You made me do it. When there's tragedy in Israel, God didn't bring it. He, he, we made him do it. Because we're the horses. But usually the rider controls the horse. God says, I'm not that kind of rider. I'm like Paroi. And you're like Paroi's horses. And when the stock market goes up, it looks like God brought it up. No, I, you brought me to bring up the market. And when you're being successful, you brought me to give you success. And when there's global pandemic, I'm just like Paroi. You brought me there. You made me do it. There are two Hanhagas of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's Tenu Oizle Kim. When a Jew davens properly, when a Jew learns properly, when a Jew has proper Beinodem HaChaveroi, proper Midois Toivois, Tenu Oizle Kim, we empower God to guide the world in a way that brings us blessing and success. However, when we don't fulfill our Avoida properly, Tzor Yeladcha Teshi, we Kviyacha, we can HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Says Arachayim Hakadosh, Koy Amar Hashem. So says the Lord. Bayracha, you know who I consider the creator of the world? Yaakov. Chal Yisrael. So we don't ask Ma Asa Hashem Lanu. We ask Ma Asa Lanu Lashem. That's what we believe. 
We believe God has made us like the horses in Parios chariot. And don't take my word for it. Let's read the words of Nevesha Chaim inside. Just like Paro's chariots, which was the opposite of Minhagoy Shaloylam, that the rider guards, guides the horse, but Paro Vecheloy, Hasus Hineges Reichloy, the horse guided Paro. This is what I like in you too. That even though I am Roichev Ba'arava is Kiviyachal at Manhiga Aisi Al Yedei Masech. It's like you guide me through your actions. Now, by the way, this doesn't mean God inherently in any way is affected by our actions. It means the way God is manifest in the various Olamos is in direct proportion to our Maisim. So Roichev Shamayim Ba'azrecha. That's what Chazal mean. God on high needs our avoida, so to speak. So when things happen in the world, the question we have to ask ourselves is not what did the Rebbein Shalom do it? What did we do? Because we're the horses. But we're the horses in charge. So... When Hashem gives the Torah to Klal Yisrael, He again starts the parsha with the letter Bez, as if to say, I created the world, but now that I'm giving you the, the giving the Torah, Ba'chodesh Hashlishi, the Meshachachma says, it's as if the world is created again. This time around, you control the world. When things happen in the world that are good, you made it good. And when things happen in the world that are bad, you made it bad. By the way, you know, the Mishnah says at the end of Saita, in the end of days, there's going to be disaster, catastrophe. Food is going to be expensive. The inflation will soar. And the Gemara lists a long list of terrible disasters that will occur in the end of days. And then the Mishnah concludes, What are we going to do? The only thing we could, uh, the only thing we could rely on, the only thing we could trust in, our only resort is God. Have faith in God. And Rabbi Chanan Vasserman and Rabbi Mordechai Gifter, they both ask, I don't understand. The Mishnah just gave a laundry list of all the disasters in the end of days. Why would the Mishnah end on a good note? And who will we rely on? We'll rely on God. That's a good thing, isn't it? So why end on a good note? And don't say because we like to end on a good note because that's not the last mission of the Masechta. The last mission of the Masechta already ends on a good note. Zahiros may be all the days results in that. Says Rev Gifter, says Rebbe Hanan, the Mishnah ends with the biggest disaster of all. You know what the biggest disaster of all? There's going to be tragedy in the world and Jews are going to say... We don't know what to do. We're going to have to rely on God. That's the biggest disaster for a Jew to say, I don't know what to do. I'm going to have to rely on God. I have nothing else to rely on. I don't know why these things are happening. I have to rely on God. That's the biggest klala of all. You know why that's the biggest klala of all? 
because it's a bezoyan hatayras says Rav Gifter. It's a bezoyan hatayras says Rav Achanan. It's a bezoyan hatayras says the Vilna Gaon. What do you mean we have no one to rely on? You have a lot of things you could do. You know what you could do? Let's start by a cheshbon anefesh and think about whether avodas Hashem is on the right level or not. Whatever happened to limud hatayra? Why are we saying we're going to fold up our arms and, and rely on God? It's not, that's not the last resort. There's a resort that Hashem wants us to rely on. And that is good, old-fashioned, the Talmud, Torah, Keneged, Kulam. God does not want us to say, Ein lanu ami lehishoin ela alavino shashamayim. Says Rabbi Hanan, that's the biggest klala of all. God gave us the antidote. The Ramchal writes in number 13. Let's check this out. The Ramchal writes that in the times of the Xeros of Tach Vetat, 1648, 1649, there was a man by the name of Rav Shamshim Ashtapoli. And he uh, got a hold of the Sitra Achra, don't try it at home, and he made the Sitra Achra swear. He says, why are you giving us more problems than anybody else? Sitra Achra says, let's cut a deal. You stop doing observing Shabbos. You stop observing Mila. You stop learning Torah, and I'll stop prosecuting. Rav Shantin uh, says, "Okay, maybe the first two we could work out a, de- a deal. We can never stop Limud Torah for one second." Says Ramchal, "Kol hakabolos shenasati lecha adheno inemes. You should know everything I told you till now is true. Limud Torah to the Yitzhar and the Sitra Achra is Sam Hamoves." The learning of Torah for the forces of evil is kryptonite. And for the Jewish people, it is the elixir of life. And then the Ramchal says a big chiddush, even though Chazal say the second base Hamikdash was destroyed because of sin Chinam, says Ramchal, no. Bottom line, bitul Torah. Churban base Kodshenu, Vishagalinu me'artsenu, so, although it is very convenient to say, bad things happen, that is a cop-out, and that is a klala. But the bracha is, so as the Yom Tif of Shavuah approach, uh, Shavuah's approach, this is uh, the greatest gift of all. The greatest gift of all is the Makar Kalabrachas, the Makar HaChayim, the Eitz Chayim, the elixir of all. And this began a new process of world history, a process that again begins with the letter Bez. And it puts the world back into a different mode of operation. And this mode of operation puts the keys of the controls of the universe in our hands, like the horses of Paro's chariots. Marvrabhoisai, when you have the keys to a very important vehicle, you better use them properly. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thank you.